0: Last time in this series, the sound of the shofar, the ram's horn, sometimes used to call God's people together. Now, my wife and I would like to thank you for the privilege of being here this weekend, the work you've put in it, the delicious fellowship meal. And we trust that the word spoken has encouraged you on in the reality of the Lord Jesus. Well, we have a little more ahead of us tonight. And I'd like to, with a very short review, take you again to Hebrews chapter 9. Uh, The book of Hebrews, chapter 9. The book of Hebrews, chapter 9. We will pull some things back to give some a little better view. However, those of you sitting over here, as we pull this back, we're not going to pull it back just yet. Okay? But we will in about 15 minutes, and you'll understand why. So just hang in there a bit. And Hebrews chapter 9, we have already read verse 2, but we'll reread it. Hebrews 9 and verse 2. For there was a tabernacle made. And we learned that word tabernacle means a tent, but a tent where God lived, where somebody lives. And that somebody was God, and since it was God... It was a holy place, a sanctuary, and he would move as his people moved toward the promised land because God wanted to be in the middle of them. We also learned it functions as a picture. Uh, It was a figure. It was a parable. Uh, It's not the reality, but it would show the reality who is the Lord Jesus. And we studied that a bit. A picture of Christ. You can't see Christ. You can't see heaven. But it's an example and shadow of heavenly things. Hebrews 8 and verse 5. And so we're dealing with a model that shows us the reality. Now having said that, if you go down to verse 7, something we looked at briefly this morning, Hebrews 9 and verse 7, "...but into the 2nd That's the second room, the holiest. "...but into the second went the high priest alone, once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the heirs of the people." The Holy Ghost this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, while as the first tabernacle was yet standing. Well, what we have learned so far that out here in the courtyard and the outside, sacrifice. Sacrifices for sins. God begins with taking sins away. That's where you must begin with God and be saved. But we learned here, and it's right there in the chapter we were in, in Hebrews 9, 6, The priest always went into the first tabernacle, holy place, accomplishing the service of God. We've studied quite a bit about the service of God. But it comes after forgiveness of sins. Sacrifice and service. We will see in a few minutes tonight uh, something they couldn't do. The high priest alone went in once a year and not without blood. You know, Yom Kippur, we showed that this morning, how the nation was clean from all its sins. And that's the only time that high priest ever went in. But we're gonna see what happened in there. But this was a forbidden area. You, you just couldn't go in. Uh, we told you about a king who got this close and leprosy broke out on him. And the high priest could go in once a year. It's a, it's a closed door. Closed doors say stay out. It's a blockade. See those cherubim on it? Heavenly guards just like there are guards at palaces and so on. And so the living holy God lives back there, and you could not. The way into the holiest was not yet made known. And so the people of the Old Testament, they, they, they could know about coming over here and giving God a sacrifice. All right? Some of the priests, not everybody, could know about coming in here and eating the bread and accomplishing the service of God. But what they did, never dreamed of is they would ever put one step beyond here where it would be certain death. However, I want to show you one of the most radical verses in the Bible. All right? Look at Hebrews 10 now. What Christians are told, brethren, brothers and sisters in Christ. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19. Hebrews 10 and verse 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus... By a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, right through here, that is to say his flesh. Verse 21, And having a high priest over the house of God, it goes on to say, Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. And We learned about that. The sprinkling of the blood that cleansed from sin. We showed how it was on the priest and so on. But not only having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, our bodies washed with pure water, we t- learned about that cleansing bath. Let us hold fast, verse 23, the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. The Christian assembly, we're going to see the heartbeat of it, that we can go into the holiest. Who can go? You say, well, the elders, the trained... No, no, brethren. Brothers and sisters in Christ. You can boldly, that means fitly, and not be afraid. You can draw near with full assurance that God will not reject you, that He will not strike you dead. And how can you do that? On what basis can you do that? well it's the blood of Jesus nothing you did and that he lives as we've been singing as our high priest he's the savior he's the intercessor and because of that perfect work you can draw near because of what he has done now having established that just a bit what does it mean to come into the holiest uh, out here was eating fellowship uh here was prayer okay got to be more than prayer has to be more than fellowship Out here was forgiveness of sins. So what does it mean to come into the holiest? It's a new and living way. It's something brand new. They wouldn't have dreamed of this until it's explained uh, because of what the Lord Jesus did. Let me give you a clue. Moses, when he was alive, was allowed in there. After he died, only the high priest once a year went in alone. But in the very beginning, Moses, who had access to God, remember when the children of Israel said, said, tell him not to speak with us on Mount Sinai. We, we, We would die. Moses could go up and speak to him. Moses spoke to him face to face, the Bible says. And when the tabernacle was built, he had special access to God. So let's go and see what happened in the holiest with a man called Moses that might tell you what can happen to you and I now that we're Christians. What does it mean that we should go into the holiest? Well, let's look at the historical record. If you go to Exodus chapter 25, please. The book of Exodus, chapter 25. And uh, take you down to verse 21, Exodus chapter 25 and verse 21, what the Lord tells Moses. Verse 21. And thou shalt put the mercy seat upon the ark, and in the ark thou shalt put the testimony that I shall give thee. Now watch verse 22. Speaking of the ark and mercy seat, I'll just give you a quick peek peek if you're over here. You'll see it more in a minute. It's in the holiest. Look at verse 22. And there will I meet with thee. Right there on the ark, between the cherubim. There, Moses, I'll meet with thee. Singular, I'll meet with you personally goes on to say uh, in verse 22, uh, Above the mercy seat from between the two cherubim, uh, which are upon uh, the ark of the testimony of all things, which I will give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. There will I meet with thee. There I will commune and the word is speak with thee. It's where God would speak to Moses. Sacrifice, service, speaking. God speaking personally to Moses. Now notice again in verse 21, it says, In all which I will give unto thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. God did not speak personally to the children of Israel in those days. If you could picture yourself as the children of Israel, you say, I wonder what God wants us to do. He's not going to come out and like I'm preaching and say, here's what I'd like you to do. Moses would go in. This one holy man would go in. He would tell Moses. Moses would come back and give all in commandment that God gave to the children of Israel. You'd get it second-handed. The holy man would get it and you'd have to get it from the holy man, from Moses. the only way you're going to get it. You will never hear directly because of this barrier between you and God. Moses will get it. If you want to know what it's going to be, Moses is going to have to tell you. There I will meet with thee. There I will commune or speak with thee. Let me show you more on that. Go to chapter 30 of Exodus, please. Chapter 30. Exodus chapter 30 and verse 6. Verse 6. And thou shalt put it before the veil that is by the ark of the testimony, before the mercy seat that is over the testimony, where I will meet with thee. Once again, Moses alone is told concerning the ark and the mercy seat, where I will meet with thee. You go further down here to verse 36. Verse 36. Chapter 30 and verse 36. And thou shalt beat some of it very small and put it before the testimony in the tabernacle of the congregation where I will meet with thee, it shall be unto you most holy. And so God had a meeting place with Moses. It's where he met personally with Moses. What what, what a privilege. Now, I want to show you one more scripture on that. One more scripture on this. If you go to Numbers chapter 7, the book of Numbers chapter 7, please. And I'm going to show you the first time that lampstand we talked about yesterday ever got lit on opening day, so to speak. The first time ever got lit. I'm going to show you how it got lit. It's going to involve this man here called Aaron. It's going to involve Aaron. Okay? Okay. And God wants Aaron to light it. But God is not going to speak directly to Aaron. God's going to speak to Moses. He says, you tell Aaron. He has to get it second-handed. Look how it happened here in Numbers chapter 7 and verse 89. Look at the last verse of that long chapter. Verse 89 of Numbers chapter 7. And when Moses was gone into the tabernacle of the congregation to speak with him, then... He heard the voice of one speaking unto him from off the ark of the testimony, from off the mercy seat that was upon the ark of the testimony, from between the two cherubim, and he spake unto him. It was God's throne. It's where God spake from. And so he went in to commune to speak with God, and God spoke to him. And you know what he told Moses? Well, look at chapter 8 and verse 1. Chapter 8 and verse 1. And the Lord said unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Aaron, and say unto him, When thou lightest the lamps, the seven lamps, that shall give light over against a candlestick. And Aaron did so. He lighted the lamps thereof over against a candlestick, as the Lord commanded Moses. So the lights are going to come on, and you're going to see all the glories and the beauties of this tabernacle, the gold, the silver bases, uh, you're going to see the, the scarlet, the blue, the purple, the cherubim, you're going to see all the glory, uh, once Aaron lights these. But the only way he's lighting them is the Lord told Moses. So we'll just relight these to illustrate for you. Moses went into the, hole, into the tabernacle. God spoke from off the ark. He heard the voice of God speaking to him. He comes out. He tells Aaron. Aaron gets it second-handed, and so you have light in the house of God that will reveal the various glories. That's how the lampstand got lit the first time. And so what happened in the holiness is communion with God, God speaking, and a meeting with God. That's why nobody else could do it. That's why Aaron couldn't do it without blood. But now that the Lord Jesus has died, now that the Son of God has shed His blood, there is a new and living way. That blood is so powerful. It's so perfect. It tells the believer in 1 John 1, 7, The blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. You know, if you still think today, I know how I'm going to hear from God in church. The holy man, the ordained man, he has a presence with God. And he'll come back to the congregation and say, God told me to tell you this. There's people that believe that. That was then. This is now. There's a new and living way. You yourself can go into the holiest and expect God to minister and speak personally to your heart and have a meeting with God Himself. You can do that. You know why? Well, the second the Lord Jesus died, when the Lord Jesus went to the cross, He went on that cross, and He shed His blood, and one of the soldiers with a spear pierced His side, and forthwith came out blood and water. You know, in Matthew 27.50, it says He cried and He gave up the Spirit. The second He died, the second the Spirit left the Son of God, you know what Matthew 27.51 says? Somebody read it this morning. Behold, the veil of the temple was written twain or two from top to bottom and the earth did quake and the rocks did rend. The doors no longer shut the second Jesus Christ died saying that it's the death of Christ not some ritual, not some school that, that makes us able to come in to the holiest. You know, if a shut door says stay out an open door says come in It's open. It's the death of Christ. And you and I, if we're saved, we enter boldly, and we don't drop over dead, and we do it by the blood of Jesus. Let me illustrate. We taught this morning from Hebrews 9.12, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. By His own blood, He entered once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. And I come as a saved Somebody who's been saved and said His blood, He died for my sins and God, you can accept me now. He's my living high priest. He's over the house of God and His gospel has saved me and you can come in. Men and women. You know, that means that you can hear from God and when we say hear from God, I don't mean some new voice. I don't mean He's going to continue writing the Bible. I mean He will take this Word and He will make it come alive and He will speak to your heart and you'll understand it you understand it. Let me show you that. Go if you would. New Testament now. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Sometimes we now think as Christians, only the educated man can do it. Only the man of letters can do it. If you're saved, you're asked to come into the holiest. And you can do so boldly. Not based on how much you know, based on the blood of Jesus. I know when I realized that as a young man, it was like getting saved again. I thought, how can I preach to people? How can I do this when I fail so much? And it was I don't come on what I do. I come by His precious blood. And I have this access because He has cleansed me from sin. Now, because of that, look what the church is told. In verse 9, 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 9. But, as it is written, eye hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Your eye hasn't seen it. Your ear hasn't heard it. It hasn't entered into your mind. Your heart doesn't understand it. You say, I guess we'll never know the things God has prepared until we get there. Uh Uh-uh. You can know them right now. Look at verse 10. Look at 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 10. But God hath revealed them unto us By His Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of Christ. Look at verse 12. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. The chapter closes that we have the mind of Christ. You see, we enter through the veil. Remember what the veil was? Through the veil, that is to say His flesh. This veil represented the body of the Lord Jesus. And when you saw it torn, that's because his body was broken, not his bones. His body was broken, and the blood poured out to pay for sin. And you enter through the flesh, the body, the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus. You do not enter through the teachings of the Lord Jesus. You do not enter through the miracles of the Lord Jesus. The flesh, the sacrifice, the poured out blood from the broken skin, that's how you enter through the veil. It's through what happened on the cross. And when you do that, you can expect God through His Spirit not just to tell somebody else, but to sh- reveal the things of God to you. To, to, to make this Scripture kind of come alive. Those of you that have been saved, you can remember, oh, I started to understand it, didn't you? Something, not that you understand everything overnight. But, but God speaks to you. I can go in. You can go in if you're saved. Women can go in. You know, some of you are very gracious. Gracious. And you'll say, I really enjoyed that thought. I enjoyed this thought. Well, praise the Lord, but they're not all original with me. Sometimes my wife, who can go into the holiest, she'll share with me and say, honey, did you see this? Did you see that? And I hadn't seen it, but I preach it. You don't know it's her, but it's me, okay? <laughs> and uh, uh, they say the art of originality is concealing the source. and That's the way it works, you see. Uh, Sometimes prisoners used to write me letters that were saved. And they, one shared a tremendous thought. And I had never seen it because he was able to get into the holiest. You see what happened when Moses went in and and he told Aaron, the lights came on and people could see and the glories were revealed. And when you think that every Christian can get in and if we get in to hear from God and He speaks to our own heart through His Word and then we come out, how much light will there be in the church of God? And that's why in 1 Corinthians 14 the brothers are told that you may all prophesy one by one. Just not one special man. Because we now have access to hear God speaking and meet with God and pour out our heart to Him and He will show us His Word. Yes, it has to start with salvation, sacrifice for sin. There's this tremendous service unto God, but it goes a step beyond that they didn't dream of. The way into the holiest was not yet made manifest. And so, are you taking advantage of that if you're saved? Are you waiting on some elder to do it for you or some gifted speaker to do it for you yeah we have gifts but you 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 can hear from god you know what you never want to do i know there's problems in new testament assemblies that that practice this gospel truth but sometimes people will get discouraged and they'll go back and it's going to be hard to believe they'll find themselves in a system where they sew this thing back up can you imagine sewing this thing back up and they'll say, uh, yes, you can teach Sunday school. You can do this. You can give your money. But you cannot hear from God. You cannot tell what God told you because you're not ordained. And they just said you can't come into the holiest in that sense. Don't ever sew it up. Don't, don't ever, you know, this was bought for you by the blood of Christ. It's, it's not $200,000 for a doctor's degree in education. It's more expensive than that. The Lord Jesus had to shed His blood. And this privilege of the Christian assembly that you may enter boldly into the holiest, privately and corporately, and you can hear from God. Don't let anyone ever take that away from you. Just don't let it happen. It's the great privilege of the New Testament. Now having said that, we've come all the way. We've started way out in the courtyard. We've spent time in the holy place. We've done something they couldn't do in the Old Testament. It's a new and living way. This is your gospel. This is the power of Christ, the death of Christ, the life of Christ, having a high priest over the house of God. But having said that, what we'd like to do in what we might call the second half of the meeting tonight is to remind you that this tabernacle was portable. That is, it would go from one spot to the other for 40 years before it got to the promised land. They were on a journey to get to their inheritance, and God would lead them. Now, When they led them, you see these family tents here? These are all the families of Israel. And here's God's tent, the tabernacle in the midst, and there's his presence, the fire at night, the cloud, in the daytime. When it was time to move, which tent went first? You think this tent went first, the family tent? and said, I I think it would be nice to worship God on the mountain here. Moses, please bring it along. The little tents did not lead the big tent. The big tent led the little tent. It is when this tent moved, when God's cloud moved, they would follow the cloud. And so we have family tents and we have the house of God. Did you know that both are of God? The family institution is of God. Mother, father, children, that's of God. And there's a lot of truth concerning the family. The church, the house of God today, 1 Timothy 3.15, is of God. Which one controls which? Do I say, well, let's do this for the children, and the children don't like this, and they're not happy here. And do the children do the leading? Or does God do the leading? Do you budge only if God budges? The best thing you can do for your family pictured here is center them around the church of God and the protocol of God and His glory. That's the best thing you can do. And this is the authority, not this. This leads this. But now as we observe that, In its portability, it would come down. And you see all this furniture? And some of us are going to do it after the end of this meeting. We're going to pack it up and move it. All right? They would have to, on many occasions, pack this up and move it. Now, when they did, God had instructions how to transport the pieces of furniture as well as everything else. Now, we have reminded each other that there were seven pieces of furniture in God's house. Number one, the brazen altar of sacrifice for blood sacrifices, burnt offering. Number two, the laver, lavatory, washing basin, where they were made clean to be presentable to serve. The third one here on the south side, the one source of light, the golden lampstand. The fourth one here, the table of showbread, where they fellowship with God once a week, the priest did. The fifth one we talked about this morning, the golden altar of incense, representing prayer ascending up before God. Then this double, two pieces in one, The ark, which had the testimony in it, and this cover called the mercy seat with the cherubim, which would go onto it, making six and seven. Now, you might say when it's time to move, the important thing is to treat it safe and just get it there as quick as you know how. God goes into details. He's going to tell the people that they have to cover it. You say, oh, well, that's understandable. You've got to protect it in case a sandstorm stops. No, no, it's more than that. He's going to show what colors go on which piece, what order they go in. You say, well, why is that detail but necessary? Uh, just put it, uh, get it going. Yeah, put a cover over it to protect it and get it there. I want to show you the ministry of coverings tonight concerning the tabernacle. Why details are important in the house of God. Let's go to the picture first. To Numbers chapter 4. The book of Numbers, chapter 4. I want to look at the ministry of coverings, how they move this tabernacle. Now you look at verse 5. We're in Numbers chapter 4, and verse 5, please. It says, And when the camp setteth forward, Aaron shall come and his sons, and they shall take down the covering veil and cover the ark of the testimony. When the camp setteth forward, it was moving somewhere, it was headed somewhere, it was making progress to the promised inheritance, just like we Christians have an inheritance reserved in heaven for us, 1 Peter 1.4. Now, if they did their job right, and they covered it right, and they transported it right, If you would visit the tabernacle 38 years later, and from the beginning, 39 years later, 40 years later, you know what you would discover? It would look exactly the same. (laughs) This would be out here. This would be here. This would be here. If they did it right, it would look... So that it didn't change. You know, the church of God, the basic principles of the gospel, the church of God should look the same 500 years after God gave It should look the same 10 years from tonight. While People change and times might change. The structure of God's house shouldn't change. The camp is setting forward. But here's instructions of how to do it. Now, the first piece of instructions for is going to be the ark, the throne of God. The coverings here. We're going to see there were three coverings to be put on it. Let's look at the verse here. Three coverings went on the uh, ark and the mercy seat. Look at verse 5 again. And when the camp setteth forward, Aaron shall come and his sons, and they shall take down the covering veil, and cover the ark of the testimony with it. The veil. The veil. (laughs) It's the only piece that is going to have this veil. And what was the veil? Well, it was the flesh, the body of Christ. It was a picture of that. And it's going to be covered in a minute with the veil. Now, when we speak of coverings, coverings serve three purposes. Sometimes you cover to hide something so people can't see it. Like your Christmas gifts that just passed. They were all wrapped, weren't they? They didn't want you to see it in advance. So they covered them with wrapping paper. So one purpose of coverings can be to hide from view. There is a second purpose of coverings, and that is to protect. To protect. Do you ever sit down on a wooden table and begin to write? Somebody says, that's going to go through and ruin the polish and ruin the wood. And they put a little covering there, a placemat or something. Sometimes coverings are meant to protect. Sometimes coverings are meant to reveal glory. See the men in the military and their uniforms and they have these braids on it and it shows if they're a sergeant or a colonel. And it reveals the glory of authority. So the coverings can protect. Coverings can hide from view and coverings can reveal glory. You're going to see that these three coverings beginning on the ark will do all three. And my help is needed here while I was away preaching. The first covering, according to the Word of God, was the veil. And that, of course, was meant to hide from view. You see, even when it was transported, people couldn't look at it. So God had the priests cover it, and if they did it the way we if they did it correctly, they wouldn't even have to see it. It would be in front of them and it would be draped over. So that even in transportation, nobody can say, I see the ark. It is hid from view and it's covered. Well, there was a second covering on it. Look, Look at verse six. Numbers four and verse six. And thou shalt put thereon the covering of badger skins. Covering number two, some of you will have porpoise or seal skins. It was meant to protect. In case you got a rare rain or uh, 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 sand and wind, it would protect it. So we'll just put this second covering uh, that the King James translation calls badger skins. That would act as a protective covering. Now every piece that's covered here Every piece that God chooses to cover will end up with badger skins, But every piece that's covered, it'll be the final covering. It's not the final covering here. The order's different. It is covering number two. Covering number one, the veil to hide from view. Covering number two, the badger skin to protect. But now, the only piece that's going to have the final covering as blue, look at it here in verse 6. Verse 6. And thou shalt put thereon the covering of badger skins, and shalt spread over it a cloth wholly of blue, and shalt put in the staves thereof. Is that the big piece or the little piece? I don't know either. (laughs) The final covering on the ark will be blue, and it will be the only piece that's covered finally with blue. So if you were standing there and you saw it going, you're going to see in a minute some of these pieces will have the badger skin last. They look kind of drab. But you look, oh, the ark! Look how that's a special piece. It's covered in blue. Well, blue speaks of heaven. You look up. And and you see the three coverings here, remember? The veil was his flesh. So when you look at this ark, well, it's where God dwelt. He lives in the Lord Jesus. In him dwelleth all the fullness. Of the Godhead bodily. And a veil speaks of the body of the Lord Jesus. But then you look at the badger skin. And Isaiah 53 2 says, When we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He wasn't some macho man that everybody just flocked to as the handsomest man in the world. No beauty that we should desire him. But when you look at the blue here, 1 Corinthians 15 47 says, The second man is the Lord from heaven. Came down from the blue. He's heavenly. And so even in its transportation, the ark will bear a glory, the throne of God where God lived. And today, when he was on earth, the fullness of God lived in the Lord Jesus. And so that's how it was transported. And so three coverings on that. Now, having said that, uh, there's a couple other pieces here, and they will be exactly the same. Uh, This golden altar of incense and this candlestick, this candle. Now, we're not going to cover both of them, but I'll cover this one as an example here. Let's read it here in verse 7. Verse 7. And upon the table of showbread, well, we'll go to the showbread, excuse me. And upon the table of showbread, they shall spread a cloth of blue and put thereon the dishes and the spoons and the bowls and covers to cover withal, and the continual bread shall be thereon. Okay, this one does not end with blue. It begins with blue. So the table of showbread began with blue. I'm not sure why the order is important. You know, i just protect it and get on with it. Do details mean anything in the house of God? Hmm. Well, they meant something there. Well, this too would would pick up a second covering, and it would be something no, no other piece had. Look at verse 8, Numbers 4, verse 8. And they shall spread upon them a cloth of scarlet. So the second thing, and I'm going to bar my tabletop here will be a cloth of scarlet on the table of bread, of showbread. And then finally, like all the other pieces that are covered, look again at verse uh, uh, 8 here. And they shall spread upon them a cloth of scarlet and cover the same with a covering of badger skins and shall put into stays thereof. And this little piece will illustrate it for us. So that finally, it would have that covering of badger skins. That's the table of showbread. That's the way it's going to be transported a different order. Now, uh, why does it have scarlet? No other piece does. It is the bread, isn't it? Who did say they were the bread of life? The Lord Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He said in John sixty fifty one, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. He shed his blood. The bread of life for you to eat it had to die for your sins and rise again. This piece gets the scarlet, which might point us to the blood of the precious blood of the Lord Jesus. So that was the way that was transported. Well, look at the next verse. Look at verse 9. And they shall take a cloth of blue and cover the candlestick the light and his lamps and his tongs and his snuff dishes. And then look at verse 11. And upon the golden altar they shall spread a cloth of blue and cover it with a covering of badger skins and shall put to the staves thereof. So just use your imagination here. These two pieces only had two coverings. It would have blue first, blue first, and then the badger skin protecting covering second. So unlike the others, it only had two blue and badger skins. That's how it was transported. Now we still have two pieces left. The laver was uncovered. No covering for the laver. No description at all. It would be transported just like this. No covering for the labor. So some pieces are covered and one is uncovered. So then that will take us to this brazen altar of sacrifice, the burnt offering, the the bloodshed, this big piece here, which is really seven and a half feet square. uh, When it was transported, it would be unique from all the rest. Let's look at it here. Numbers chapter 4. Numbers 4. Look here, if you would, at verse 13 verse 13 and they shall take away the ashes from the altar so the first thing they did they would go and they'd get these ashes where all the animals had to be burnt in judgment and unto God and of course they'd have to remove the ashes put out the fire and they would do things like that and then it goes on to say here in verse 13 and they shall take away the ashes from the altar and shall spread a purple cloth thereon hmm It's going to be the only piece that gets purple. He he won't hurt you. (laughs) And over the altar, according to the Word of God, a purple cloth goes on. Then it too would have the final protectant covering, as verse 13 says, of badger skins. And I'll just briefly illustrate with this. It would finally be covered with badger skins. Only two coverings. But uniquely, it would have purple. You know, in the Bible, even in our world today, purple signifies something royalty. Kings wear purple. You'll see it in the Bible. Now, I want you to picture something. When they were told to move this thing, and they get to a new spot, that cloud moves up there, and they stop at a new spot God has taken to them, it's time to sacrifice. Before they can ever kill an animal, before they would ever put a blood sacrifice on here, they had to do something. They'd have to take off their protective covering. And they would have to obviously, and I'll just partially do it for now, they would have to take off, the purple would have to come off. What you just saw in that ancient picture, spiritually and literally, happened to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you spiritually first. You know, Philippians 2.6 says, Speaking of Jesus our Lord, Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He didn't have to grasp after Godhood, for He already had it. In eternity past, He was the Creator of all things. The Word was God. But it goes on to say in Philippians 2.7, But made Himself of no reputation, some translations laid aside His glory, emptied Himself, and took upon Him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. You know what He did? He took off the purple. He laid aside His heavenly authority where angels and cherubim obeyed Him. And He came down as a servant and said, Not my will to God, but Thy will be done. And if God asked Him to go to the cross, He would obey rather than give orders. And He came down as a human. He laid aside His heavenly glory where He shines as the sun in its brightness and veiled Himself with human flesh. He took off the purple to come to earth. You know why? Listen to Philippians two eight, And became obedient unto death even the death of the cross. He, he sacrificed Himself. He died on that cross for your sins and mine, but before it ever happened, the purple had to come off. Spiritually, He emptied Himself. He made Himself of no reputation. He became a slave. He became a man. Pictured in the brazen altar where the purple would have to come off. It not only happened to Him spiritually, it happened to Him physically. Let me take you to the crucifixion scene Mark chapter 15, please. Crucifixion scene of the Son of God. Mark chapter 15. Mark 15. Let's break in here at verse 16. Mark chapter 15 and verse 16. Verse 16, and the soldiers led him away into the hall called Praetorium. And they called together the whole band. Verse 17, and they clothed him with purple and plaited a crown of thorns and put it about his head and began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! They didn't believe Jesus was king. They mocked him. And they would put this, Oh, you're a king! And they would put the purple robe on him and began to say, Hail, King of the Jews, making fun and mocking the Lord Jesus. And so they put the purple on him. But they didn't mean it, so look what they did next. Look what they did next in Mark 15. In verse 19, And they smote him on the head with a reed, and a spit upon him, and bowing their knees, worshipped him. Verse 20, When they had mocked him, they took off the purple from him, and put his own clothes on him and led him out to crucify him. Before Jesus Christ ever died, the purple robe, they didn't believe he was king. They stripped it from him and then it became the offering for sin. Tell me details don't matter. God picturing it hundreds of years before, the crucifixion of Christ, uh, leaving heaven's glory, and then men rejecting him. And off came the purple and they crucified him. But remember, when the sacrifice was done here, it was time to move on. What they have to do? They had to cover it with purple. When the sacrifice was finished in that spot, they would cover it with purple and the protective covering of badger skins. You know what happened after the Lord Jesus died? He rose again. You know what we are telling you in Philippians 2, where he, he, he made himself of no reputation, became a servant, became a man. Obedient to the cross, to death of the cross. You know what Philippians 2, 9 says? Wherefore God also hath highly exalted Him and given Him a name above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, things on earth, things under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The purple's back on. He's on the right hand of the majesty today. He is Lord. And God wants you to confess it and you'll glorify God if you confess Jesus Christ as Lord. He's the coming King of kings. He'll come back into purple. Yes, the purple came off, but when the sacrifice was done, the purple went on according to the instructions. Back on. And He has offered one sacrifice for sin forever. And in the language of Hebrews 1.3, when He had by Himself purged our sins, He sat down on the right hand of the Majesty on high coverings and transporting the tabernacle so it could be reset up uh, the order and the colors and they all point to the Lord Jesus I say all that in the closing minutes here to say this when you get to the church of the Lord Jesus you have a ministry of coverings is it important doesn't save you it's not what brings you to God that's what takes away your sins so maybe it's not important well I'm glad they didn't think it wasn't important What beautiful pictures. So in closing, let's go to 1 Corinthians 11 and just briefly look at the church's ministry of coverings. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, please. And as we go there, it will be speaking of the man and the woman, the Christian man and the woman. But you will see that on certain occasions the Christian man will be uncovered, just like something was uncovered here, and the Christian woman is to be covered. So just like not everything was covered, well, not everything is covered here, but something is covered. Uh, he's teaching headship, God's order of authority on earth, and uh, that's verse 3. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Now, every man praying or prophesying with his head covered dishonoreth his head. So when we men pray or prophesy, uh, we're, we're to not do it with our head covered, for we'll dishonor our head, which is Christ. You know, when I go over to the East, go over to Jerusalem, every major religion over there, the men function covered in religion. The Jewish men, you wear their yarmulke. The Arab, their keffiyeh, the Islamic religion. The, uh, Indian, uh, uh, the Indian religion, they have their turbans and so on. Greek Orthodox and the Orthodox Churches and Catholicism, their priests always function covered. In fact, I was visiting one of the holy spots, and I didn't think quick enough. Okay? I didn't think quick enough. I had my hat on because it's real sunny, and I'm on their turf. It's, it's a spot I'm visiting. And the priest was doing something on the altar, and I was just passing by, and I went up. He said, holy ground, take your hat off. Well, I I took it off. I mean, you know, there's no issue there. I'm, I'm in his place. But as I walked away, I thought to myself, why didn't I say to him, why are you covered? For there he was covered, you know, if it's holy ground as a man. And so the pressure over there is not so much on the woman like it is here in the West. It's on the man. And when I'm asked to lead in prayer over there, whether it's at the Wailing Wall or wherever, I take it off and I stand out. But my head is Christ and I have to do it. And so I'm uncovered. But when a woman prays or prophesies, it's just the opposite. You look at verse 4, 5, verse 5. Every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head, for that is even all one as if she were shaven. For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it is a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head. And so there are times the Christian sister is to be covered. And the man is to be uncovered. You say, well, that doesn't save me. No, it doesn't. That doesn't mean people can't get saved if you say something. But uh, God, that's why way God designed it. Is the ministry of coverings important? And you'll see here they're connected with glory. With glory. Look at it here. I know you know this, but look at verse 7. I want to show you the three glories in this section of coverings. The three glories. Verse 7. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head for as much as he is the image and glory of God. Glory number one here is the man. He was directly created for God for his glory. The glory of God is the male, the man. All right? doesn't mean a woman can't give God glory, but in the right protocol. So we have God's glory. Glory number one, the glory of God is man. We have God's glory who is the man. Secondly, we have man's personal glory. Look at the end of verse 7. But the woman is the glory of the man. God made the woman specifically for Adam because it wasn't good that he would dwell alone. He needed to help meet fit for him. So the woman is uniquely the glory of man. Now we have two glories. God's glory is the man. Man's glory is the woman. But the woman herself has a personal glory that Paul will appeal to nature to prove his argument here. He said, if you think what I'm teaching is strange, just look at nature. Nature's done something different to a woman than a man. If you think what I'm teaching is strange, just look at nature. And so you look here at verse 13. Judging yourselves, is it comely that a woman pray unto God uncovered? Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him? A man with long hair, it's shameful. But, not so with a woman. But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her. For her hair is given her for a covering. Even nature has given her a unique covering. So, if a woman has long hair, it's a glory to her. Now we have God's glory is the man. Man's glory is the woman. And the woman's glory is your long hair if you have it. Three glories. Now, when you're praying or prophesying, guess what gets covered? Well, the woman is to cover, not the man. So man's glory is hid. And she covers her head, not her feet, uh, but she covers her head. So her hair is veiled. Her glory is hid. Man's glory is covered. You you look here at verse uh, 10. Verse 10. For this cause ought the woman to have power or authority on her head because of the angels, etc. So she has it on her head. By putting the covering on your head, dear Christian sister... And you're ministering to angels you have just veiled your glory and man's glory is covered who is the woman but the man is not covered and whose glory is the man God's. so the only glory at these times of praying and prophesying the only glory uncovered is God's glory and the head of man is Christ makes sense to me that God's glory shouldn't be covered and man whose head is Christ is uncovered and it might mean far more when we get to heaven But the ministry of coverings, oh, it wasn't the sacrifice that took away sin. It wasn't the communion at the table. But God gave explicit, detailed instructions. And while this doesn't save you, does it minister and please the heart of God in a world that rejects this headship and rejects the authority of the Lord Jesus? A ministry of coverings, a ministry of glory. Well, those are the thoughts that are on my heart. There is a lot more here, but we did cover the major basic things. Lord willing, there's a f- Lord willing. It's not 100% settled, but we're sure leaning to taking this tabernacle to Camp Horizon at the men's conference. Right now, it's a men's conference. I told somebody if enough sisters appealed and gave a great contingent, you know, they could change. I'll, I'll probably get in trouble for saying that. But uh, anyway, it, it's it's a men's conference, and we're going to at least have about 24 sessions with. Uh, Uh, some of the brothers up there next year and really dig into this model. Uh, Lord willing that looks like where it's leaning. But what we're going to do tonight, before we close in prayer and ask God for good understanding and to work in hearts, I've had some questions handed to me and I'm going to attempt to address them. But before I do, is there any brothers in the assembly tonight that have some comments on what we've learned or would like some questions of interest or clarification? We'll open up to the brothers for a little bit. Okay. Okay. (laughs) He wanted to know why the clergy told me to remove my hat when they didn't remove theirs. Is that right? It's a question I felt like asking, but thought of it too late. Okay. What I think it is: they look at themselves as holy men, and I'm just a common person. And in their misunderstanding, they think as holy men, they should be covered. But that's all changed. You see, the priest here in the Old Testament was covered. The priests were covered. But now that the Lord Jesus has come and established His authority, as the only authority I have, the men are to uncover We're the only major, shall I say, professing faith in Christ, major, I said the Christian faith, that, that the men are uncovered, if you, if you look all around the world. So I think it was that Old Testament thinking, we're the holy people, you're common, and since we're holy, because what these religions do, brother, and let me just give you an example. They just keep this system going here. They don't get a hold of the reality of Christ by faith. Christ has come. Let me give you an example. It's kind of a crazy example, but you see my wife here. Well, years ago, we were married 43 years ago, but before we were married, I was in Kansas City, uh, a couple thousand miles away from her, and she would send me her picture, and I'd put that picture under my pillow and look at it in the morning, <laughs> look at it in the evening. I, I did all, you know, I did all kinds of things with that picture. Okay, uh, I, I, was, but now I come to the wedding, we get united. What would my wife think? And we're united in marriage, and she grabs my arm, and I don't even talk to her, I don't even look at her. I'm just staring at the picture. Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> you know, hey, I'm here. You know, speaking of all these rituals of priesthood and and water and sacrifices, Colossians 2.16 and holy days, Colossians 2.17 says, which was a shadow of things to come, but the body or reality is Christ. And in unbelief, some of these religions, I have to speak clearly, it looks like it's right because it matches the Old Testament. They have sacrifices, rituals, and priests. But Christ has come. (laughs) We can all enter in now. And therefore, we, uh, and we, the men are uncovered. So in rejecting that, they think as God's holy representatives, like the Old Testament, they can be covered. That, that is how their reasoning goes, why they would say something like that. But it shows the error of not understanding the power of the gospel of Christ. Anybody else? Okay. Yes, thank you. Some of these I actually covered in this morning's message, but I'll just run through them very quick. Some of these are from children who have an interest. What would happen if a candlestick went out? You relight it. <laughs> I don't know what would happen, okay? I really think you'd relight. It never tells us about a candlestick, one of these going out. Uh, they were to burn forever. Now, of course, when they transported it, I'm not sure what they did with the oil lamps. So they weren't working when they transported, but every time this was up, they were to be burning. Now, what the scriptures does say is Aaron the high priest, his ministry was so they would never go out. Evening and morning, he would order the lamps, we learned so they would burn before the Lord continually. So if the high priest was faithful, they would always burn. Is the Lord Jesus faithful? Hebrews 10.23, he is faithful to promise. So if the high priest was faithful, they would never go out. We also have what is the Hebrew writing on the ephod? Uh, uh, the ephod is this vestment. Uh, maybe they meant the mitre up here. The Hebrew writing there is holiness unto Jehovah or holiness unto the Lord. He was set apart to represent to God. And so what he did was for the Lord. Holiness, not happiness. Holiness to the Lord. And then on his breastplate, it says, uh, it went on to say, Are the different stones on the ephod significant? They are. There's 12 stones because there were 12 tribes of Israel. And on each stone, the name of that tribe was written. And the Bible says he wore it next to his heart. He didn't put it on his leg. He put it next to his heart. So that those names were dear to the heart of God. So that when he would go in here, he's representing the names. So that if you know the Lord Jesus, you're dear to his heart. And he knows your name. And he represents you to God. It says, what is Aaron holding? Well, we did look at that this morning. That was that incense, con- uh, uh, the uh, container of incense, which he would take into that holy place on the day of atonement to shield him uh, uh, from God directly. That is an incense container. And then, uh, she was nice enough to sign her name. Okay. Then another question, uh, where did the Israelites get all the gold and silver for the tabernacle? I thought it was used for the golden image Aaron made at Mount Sinai. Moses made them drink it, right? And that is right. He made them drink it. Uh, And that is correct. They used some of the gold when they sinned and made that golden image. But go to Exodus 12 for a minute. Exodus chapter 12. of Exodus, where'd they get all the gold? Well, for years, Israel treated, made them slaves and treated them cruelly and never gave them what they were worth. And God made, Egypt I should say, treated Israel as slaves. And God made them pay that back. You look here at chapter 12. And uh, verse uh, 34. Verse 34, Exodus 12. And the people took their dough before it was leavened and their kneading trowels Uh, being bound up on their clothes, up on their shoulders. And the children of Israel did, according to the word of Moses, they borrowed of the Egyptians jewels of silver, jewels of gold and raiment. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. So that they lent unto them such things as they required, and they spoiled or ruined or plundered the Egyptians. Right before they were to leave Egypt, they'd knock on their Egyptian door and they'd say, "Could, could, could I borrow that gold pitcher? Could I borrow that change of clothes? borrow it was a long borrow but (laughs) and the Egyptians said sure you can borrow it you're going on a journey and they emptied their house and gave them everything they left as we say today filthy rich God made it up to them all those years of being deprived and cruel slavery and they spoiled the Egyptians without a shot being fired God put it in their hearts so they were loaded with silver and gold and while they made the golden calf with it they had all kinds of leftover gold to make everything you see here and silver and cloth because they spoil the Egyptians, uh, the justice of God there. And that would be the answer to that question. Then we do have a, a card here. Please explain the difference between these two kings and the names of two kings. Solomon's burnt offerings before the Lord at the tabernacle of congregation, Second Chronicles uh, 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 1 and so on, uh, chapter 6 through 13. And uh, it will remind us of when the temple was built and King Solomon came here and he had, it was over 22,000 offerings. It was amazing on opening day. The offerings unto the Lord out at the brazen altar. But then it brings another king here and it wants to know the difference. And King Uzziah went into the temple of Jehovah to burn incense upon the altar of incense, but he was struck with leprosy. Second Chronicles 26, 16 through 21. Was Solomon a priest? No, Solomon was not a priest. He was of the tribe of Judah. You had to be of the tribe of Levi to be a priest. King Uzziah was of the same tribe of Judah. So, they, But the point is Solomon never went in here. You see, a king could come out here. You could come out here and bring your sacrifice. In fact, you had to. But you could never step a foot in here. Solomon couldn't do it. David couldn't do it. Uzziah couldn't do it. So Solomon never got near the veil of God, but Uzziah, thinking, I'm king, I'm important, uh, what does it matter, God says, priest, I can do it too. He walked up here, and they grabbed him, and they said, no, no, you're not a priest, you can't do it. And he went ahead and offered it, and leprosy broke out. For you, you, you can't function unless you're a priest. And only the Levites were priests. Judah was the king, so they mixed God's order up. And you can't function today unless you're a priest in the house of God. But the good news is if you're saved, you're a priest. Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ, 1 Peter 2.5. So they were identical in kings. They were from the same tribe. The difference was one man did what he was allowed to do and should have done. The other man thought he was bigger than God and he went in here where he wasn't allowed. And we want to make sure we do things that we're not allowed to do. But what we are allowed to do is come right into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Anybody else before we close? brothers? Yes, sir, Brother Malcolm. When we say come into the holiest, of course, we're come the holiest in heaven. In heaven. The real one's in heaven. In the book of Revelation, it would be an interesting study. It might even happen next year. Is to show the real tabernacle in heaven, the tabernacle of testimony was open. You'll see the throne of God there. You'll see the golden altar there. You'll see the altar. So we come by faith. We don't come with our physical feet. But we, with faith, we trust God and trust the Lord Jesus. We don't come into this holiest. It's not even in Jerusalem. Nobody can do it today. But if it was there, it's, he entered into heaven, it says, itself. We come by faith into the very presence of God, into the protocol royalty of heaven, and we have access with God Himself. It's going back to the shadow that we said. It's going back to the Old Testament and not realizing the new and living way. It might look biblical, but it's unbiblical because they haven't by faith embraced the gospel the new and living way. They can prove it in the Old Testament. The New Testament says it's all in heaven. It's all in Christ. And as believers, if you have faith, and that's what it means to walk by faith, you're doing all this but you're doing it by faith, not because you can see it, because God said so. That's the gospel. Now, thank you, brother. Okay, let's just uh, commit this time to the Lord. Our Father in heaven, we are in thy holy presence, but in the name and person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank thee for that precious blood that has brought us near as holy priests, May none of us sell our birthright, our priesthood, to get away from problems. But may we, what Thou hast given us, edify one another with it and, and see that we can come into Thy presence and we can be involved in the ministry unto God. And nothing to glory in ourselves, but the glory in the power of the gospel. We think of those who have been blinded and they're following what they think is the Bible, but it's nothing but the Jewish way in disguise. But it's not a faith. And if there's any here mixed up, that that, 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 even though they might be saved, that they'll they'll, they'll come into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, that they will uh, come to the New Testament style, the new and living way, and find reality and communion and fellowship. And so we just pray for the assembly here to maintain these truths in the gospel and in their practice. It's what the assembly is all about. It demonstrates everything we've seen in, in a real way. And so we just ask thy blessing on the different families, some going through trials we don't understand to sustain Him. Their confidence will be in Thee. Faithful is He that promised. If there's any here not saved tonight, may they start where Thou hast started with the sacrifice, with the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus. Not worry about church service yet, but find that if they come to Christ, He died for their sins. And they'll be saved. They'll be forgiven. And then you can use them. And so we just commit to working this Word in a way that we can't. There'll be good understanding. There'll be fruit. Uh, and it will build one another up as we go forth and we commit it all in the name and for the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.